Well, good morning, church family. So very thankful that you're here. Hey, y'all give Marcus and Olivia, and uh, I'm just drew a blank getting up here. Thank you. Christy? Yes. Y'all give them a hand for helping out this morning. <clears throat> we are always thankful for them as they share their gifts and talents, and so we are uh, appreciative of them as they lead us in our music. And so <clears throat> the last couple of weeks... Uh, we've been looking at various encounters uh, in the New Testament that Jesus had uh, with, with various people. And so the, we are in the last of those four weeks um, <clears throat> before uh, the crucifixion and the resurrection. And we've, we've looked at his interactions with a variety of people, right? From the Jewish religious elite and the Pharisee Nicodemus to the socially outcast and the Samaritan woman to the hopelessly afflicted and the man born blind. And as varied as these encounters have been, I mean, uh, one was in Jerusalem at night where a fair, the, the Nicodemus came. Another was <clears throat> outside the temple when Jesus was walking by. And another was outside the city in Samaria at Jacob's well where he engaged a woman by asking her for a drink. As varied as they have been, there is one thing that they've all sh shared in common. Jesus teaches about himself in each one, Right. In these encounters, Jesus reveals something about himself or the nature of his mission or both. And to Nicodemus, he teaches that he is the son of man that must be lifted up in order for mankind to be saved. To the woman of the well, he is the source of living water, the Messiah who was to come that would teach people about true worship of the Father. To the blind man, he confessed to him that he was the son of man. Jesus is most used term to describe his messianic role. Today in our last encounter text before the crucifixion and the resurrection, we find Jesus not interacting with a stranger, but a family who was very close to him, a family the Bible says that he loved dearly. In this encounter, we will see Jesus continues this pattern of teaching about himself through these situations. We will also see the compassion of Jesus in the words, Jesus wept, as well as the power of Jesus in the single most awesome display of his power before his own resurrection. It is to this encounter we turn. So if you have your Bibles this morning, open them to John, uh, 11th chapter, 11th chapter of John. Uh, open them this morning uh, as we begin our sermon. Now, the, the story will begin there at verse 17 this morning. It extends all uh, through almost all of the 57 verses. So uh, we're going to focus our attention on one particular part of this encounter, uh, Jesus' encounter with Martha. And so there's a, there's a lot to the story, and we'll try to summarize it where we can uh, but that's where we'll be uh, this morning, John eleven seventeen through 27. So I want to set the scene for you this morning. So we'll, we'll kind of look at a little bit of scripture and then we'll see what's happening. John eleven seventeen is where we'll begin. Uh, so now, when Jesus had came, he found that Lazarus has already been dead in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So, Jesus has come almost to the town of Bethany to see uh, Martha and Mary because they have sent word that uh, Lazarus, their brother, was sick. And so those are the main characters we see this morning, the, the, the siblings, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. And so here's the immediate context. Lazarus became ill. 
the sisters at, at a certain time decided that Jesus was their only hope that he would come and heal him. And so they sent word to Jesus who had just left Jerusalem after the religious crowd had tried to put him to death and they had tried to, to arrest him. And so he had left there and they sent him a, a word and the sisters appeal to Jesus was that he loved Lazarus. They said, Lord, whom, he whom you love is ill, right? So they send, him, they send him word and they say, listen, Lazarus, whom you love is ill. And so the invitation, of course, is come at once, come quickly, come do something so that Lazarus may recover. Jesus responded by saying, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. And then he says, or John says rather, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard was Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Jesus loved this family. So he gets word that Lazarus is ill, and it says, so he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. The Apostle John, in this uh, narrative, before he even tells us that Jesus waited two days, he tells us that he loved the family. Why? Why? Because I think at first glance it can seem harsh, can it? Like, right? Before, even now, before we get to the conclusion, the Apostle John wants us to understand that what Jesus did was not in spite of love, but out of it. And because by tarrying, the glory of God would be displayed through the Son. Jesus then has a conversation with his disciples where he talks about Lazarus being asleep, and they don't understand. So he says, listen, Lazarus is dead, and I'm going to go wake him. And I'm glad I wasn't there for your sake so that you may believe. And so Jesus tarried for two days, which allowed enough time for Lazarus to be dead and buried for four days by the time he gets there. This is a situation that Jesus is walking into. Lazarus has been entombed for four days. He's coming into Beth, uh, Bethany. Martha comes out to meet him just as he makes his way to the village. And the first thing she says to him seems both emotionally charged and accusatory in tone. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. She adds, even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So there's a sense in this, she's emotional and she's charged and she's, she's groping for answers and yet she does still trust Jesus, that he has a, an intimate connection with the Father, but she doesn't understand why he waited. I think one commentator said, the question really under the surface here is, why didn't you come? You could have been here, right? Why didn't you come? That's the question she's asking. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. So this is the scene before us. Martha, a, a perfect picture of faith and the effects of mourning and loss on that faith. She believes, but she's struggling, right? Because she's lost her brother. She's mourning, and so she's struggling with, with belief and, and, and what to do with that and what does it mean. And so she a perfect picture here of this Jesus coming and comforting her as well as strengthening and stretching her faith in who he is and ultimately displaying his power as the one and only son of God. My prayer is that today all of us who face the certainty of our own death will not only find comfort, but be strengthened in our faith. For those of you who may not have decided you, who you believe Jesus is yet, my prayer is that you would see him for who he is this morning through God's word. So Jesus 
almost comes to Bethany, met by a mourning sister who simultaneously holds onto her faith but is also struggling with the loss of her brother and the reality that Jesus could have healed him if he had come sooner. It is Jesus' answer to her as well as her response that we look to this morning. And so if you have uh, your Bibles, we will pick up in verse uh, 23, looking at the revelation of who Jesus is. And so if you take notes, uh, that's our first division this morning. Jesus is simply going to reveal who he is. John eleven twenty three through 25. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Let's start there for a minute. Let's stop there for a minute. So Jesus begins with this seemingly intentionally vague, but nonetheless true statement. Your brother will rise again. Literally, he will stand up again. That's the word resurrection is to stand up again, right? He will, he will stand up again. And Listen, he doesn't say, I'm about to resurrect your brother. He doesn't say, hey, listen, it doesn't matter that I wasn't here. I'm here now, and I'm fixing to raise him from the dead. He doesn't say any of that. He just says, hey, your brother will rise again. Which Martha understands to mean in the last day. It is though, as though she says, of course, Lord, I know that in the end, he will stand again. Like, I know he will rise again in the end, but what comfort does that give me now? I know that. Now, it's interesting to note that not all Jewish people believed the way that Martha does. Throughout the New Testament, you see the Sadducees rejected the resurrection. They, they did not believe that there was anything after this life, and the Pharisees did, and that was a great division among the Jewish religious leaders. This was the question that the Sadducees used to try to trip up Jesus on multiple occasions. But Jesus himself taught the reality of the resurrection of some of God's people. Uh, or, I'm sorry, the Pharisees believed that there would be a resurrection. And then Jesus himself taught the reality of the resurrection on at least one occasion uh, when he says in John 5, do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Like Jesus teaches on the resurrection. And so Martha believes that in the last days, Lazarus will rise again. She, she believes this. She believes what Jesus teaches, and she believes her brother in some way will, in fact, live again on the last day. But this is where Jesus meets Martha where she is and then stretches her faith to really understand who he is, right? She says, I understand that he will rise in the last day. Like, I have that. I understand that because you've taught it. But Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. So she's thinking about an event that will happen in the future, and Jesus turns her attention away from the event to himself. He says, I am the resurrection. This is, by the way, the, the fifth of seven I am statements recorded in John. If you're a student of the Bible, you know that John kind of structures itself around these seven I am statements. Uh, seven times Jesus uses the great I am to reveal the great truth of his salvation. I am the bread of life, he told the crowd in John 6. I am the light of the world, he cried at the Feast of Tabernacles, John 8. When the blind man, and we studied about in Bible study this morning, was kicked out by the false shepherds, the Pharisees, and cast out, he found him and said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, I will be saved, John 10. And I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, John 10, 11. 
Now before Martha, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Here he's saying what? I'm more than a teacher of the resurrection, right? I am more than just telling you about it. I am the source of it, the author of it, where it finds its fulfillment. Like I am the resurrection, right? It finds all of its source and power in me. I mean, this is the, the John began his gospel account with this confession, right? John 1, 4, in him was life. And the life was the light of man. And John, Jesus will tell his disciples in just a short time the same thing when he says, John 14, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live, right? Jesus wants him, her to understand that the source of life is him, right? He is the resurrection. He is the life. Like Lazarus will live, but it will be because of Jesus, right? He is that resurrection. He is that life. Very soon after this encounter, Jesus will be put to death and buried in a very similar tomb to the one Lazarus is in right now in our story, but he would not stay there. On the third day, he arose and he is alive today. The assurance we have of our own life and resurrection is found in the very life of Jesus. Because he lives, I live, right? Jesus wanted Martha to understand here that the resurrection was not some distant and undetermined day where some will be raised again, but the resurrection is a person, the Son of God, and he was standing talking to her face to face. This is the comfort Jesus brings Martha, right? Lazarus will live again in and through me. With this brief but revealing message, Jesus begins to stretch her understanding of who he is. He's not just a great teacher. He's not just a miracle worker. He's not just a righteous man who has a distinct relationship with God the Father. He is the very means by which men and women will live. I am the resurrection and the life, he says, right? So as Martha stands there, I want you to think about her scene for a minute. Martha stands there. She's got a grieving sister at home that won't leave the house, right? She's got a brother in the grave. All of them have loved and followed Jesus. What does it matter that he's the resurrection and the life, right? What is the implication that Jesus wants her to see when he takes the time to confess this to her? What, what, does, he, what does he mean? What does it mean that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? And so that's what we're going to look at next is what is the implication or the implications of who Jesus is? What does it matter? And this is where Jesus is going to go next, right? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he's going to add a second statement. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So Jesus moves in this conversation from the reality of who he is to the reality of those who believe in him. So Jesus makes two statements here, and I, I want to look at each one. The first statement is this, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Like, so we're going to dig into that word believe for a minute. So just I want to set that aside for just a minute and look at the statement itself. Though he die, yet shall he live. Grammatically in the Greek, it reads this way. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, right? That's what Jesus says. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, right? And so uh, this is what Jesus says. Now, this should be an interest to anyone 
who has spent much time on this earth because we know that if he dies, practically means when he dies, right? We know the experience of death is coming for all men and women. Like we know this from the experience of losing loved ones, sometimes suddenly, sometimes slowly, we share this experience with all men everywhere. It has been said that death is the great equalizer. That is to say, it doesn't matter what situation you were born into, no matter your nationality, your social standing, your economic status, poor or rich, young, old, sick, healthy, we must all face this great enemy called death. This is the constant that all men understand, right? He shall live even if he dies. And we understand that that means even when he dies. The Bible teaches this in Hebrews when it says, it is appointed for man to die once. It's appointed. So in the face of this all-consuming enemy, what are we to think, right? Death is coming for every one of us. What do we do with that? Some will say, like the, the Sadducees, that this is it. Whether we get 80 minutes or 80 years, what time we have before death is all the life that we will have, right? This is it. Some will say that this is not it and we get to live again through some kind of uh, reincarnation. The, the universe will simply spit us back out and we'll get a, another chance. Others will say that all men, except for the very worst of men, will find some kind of paradise waiting for them after death, and so they will go on living. But what does the Bible say? Hebrews 9, and it's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. Hebrews says that there is a, a death, and there's an appointment that is waiting for us, and after that death is the judgment. And listen, as we heard earlier in John 5, in the beginning, John tells us, or Jesus tells us, there's two experiences waiting for us on the other side of life. So let's go to the larger context. John 5, 21, I'm going to read this to you. If you want to mark that on your notes, at John 5, 21 through 29. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son of Man gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear it will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. What do we make of this? What is Jesus saying? Death is not the final word, right? Physical death is not the end of the believer's life, but rather a passing from one part of it into another, for they possess eternal life, having passed from death to life. In Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus, he calls this being born again, right? Those who find life in him will never die. That is, they possess eternal life. This is where the rest of his statement comes in. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. 
those who have life in Christ, those who have been born again, will never die. So how do we reconcile these statements? Here they are. The first is this. He who believes in me will live, even if he dies. And who lives and believes in me shall never die. So how do we reconcile? We reconcile them by understanding that Jesus is talking about both physical death and spiritual death. Physical death does not end the life of the believer because we have eternal life. And since we have eternal life, we will never experience spiritual death, right? Physical death isn't the end. And because we have life, there is no end to our spiritual life. And so Jesus is saying that even if we physically die, we do not lose our life. And once we have life in him, we will never lose that either. You got to ask the question, did Martha understand all this? Probably not. I mean, think about where she's standing, right, grieving, and Jesus is teaching this great truth. But we can be sure that what Jesus said to her is not just for her benefit, but for all those who would hear these words. But whether she fully understood it or not is not the question. The question is the more important question than he asked her, do you believe this, right? In the midst of her grief, in the midst of her possible anger, her certain confusion, Jesus presses her, do you believe this, that I am the resurrection and the life, that death is not final and the life I give cannot be touched by death? Do you believe this, right? This is what he presses on Martha. Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life and that if you find life in me, you will never die? And that if you die, you will live, right? What is her confession we turn to this morning as our last division, the confession of who Jesus is? We find this confession in John eleven twenty seven. 27. She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And this is one of the few most powerful confessionary statements in the New Testament. Like it rivals the Apostle Peter's confession, right, in Matthew 16, when he says uh, to Jesus' question, who do you say I am? He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Like this is a similar confession from Martha here in, in the hill country outside of Bethany. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. And listen, each word in this brief expression is powerful. Yes, Lord. She begins with this title, Lord, acknowledging his authority over her life. One commentator said, this is the attitude of faith. She doesn't quarrel with him over what he says. She doesn't drag back up her indignation that he did not get there quick enough. She places herself in a position of trust that even if she doesn't understand it all, she trusts what he says because she knows he is Lord. Everything that follows that is a declaration of her faith in who Jesus is. You see that? Like the confession is, yes, Lord, right? Everything that follows is because she acknowledges that he is her Lord. She doesn't say, listen, she doesn't say, I believe that you are the resurrection and the life. She doesn't say, I believe that he who believes in you, though he dies, will live and who lives in you will not die. She says, I believe in you and qualifies that with what she believes concerning him. 
Like, if we get that right, everything else falls into place, right? Like, if we understand who Jesus is, we may not understand everything he teaches, but it all falls into place. So she says, listen, I may not understand all of that, but this is what I know. I know who you are. I believe in you. And this is what I believe about you, that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Listen, Christ is a Hebrew word. Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah, which means anointed one. Jesus is the anointed one. This is the one in scripture that is referred to from, from three unique positions of the Old Testament. He is the prophet, the priest, and the king. And all of these anointed offices had different purposes. The prophet revealed God's truth. The priest offered sacrifices for sins. And the king established God's sovereign reign To believe that Jesus is the Christ is therefore to believe that he is the true and final prophet, the true and final priest, and the true and final king over God's people. He is the fulfillment and satisfaction of God's plan to redeem and reconcile men to himself. Christ is not Jesus' last name. I know sometimes we think that's it. It's a title, right? It's a position. She says, you are the Christ. Like, you are the one that was promised. I, she's confessing so much about who Jesus is in this statement. Martha, Martha confessed this as well as that she believed he was the son of God. That as he had taught, he was the only begotten of the father. That he had seen the father, that he had come from the father, that he had been sent by the father. And even if she didn't fully understand or able to articulate his divinity, Jesus said it about himself and she believed it was true, right? Jesus taught it that in some way distinct and him and the father were one and, and he, he had seen the father and he heard the father and he used these I am statements and she might not have been to articulate that he was God of God, right? And image of God, like she might not be able to say that, but she said, I believe you are the son of God, that you have some divine connection to God the father. And the final statement she makes is related to the first. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. She believed that Jesus fulfilled the promises made by God in the Old Testament concerning the salvation of his people. This confession is the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. Like, if you deny any part of this, you cannot rightly call yourself a follower of Christ. Like Martha outlines it for us plainly. You are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. This confession sums up. Remember we said we were going to deal with this word believe. What does believe mean? This confession sums up what belief means. When Jesus says, he who believes in me, or when he tells Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, right? John at 3.18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Or has he told the crowd in John 6 uh, what they must do to work the works of God, that you believe in him who is sent? John 6, 40, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. Or when he stood up in John 7 at the the, the feast and he said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, who those who believed in him were to receive. Like in every instance, to believe in him is not simply 
to acknowledge some truth about him. It is to confess him as Christ, the Son of God, the one who is to come, right? Like it is to place yourself as he is your Lord. That's what it means to believe in him. To believe that he is the Messiah, the great prophet that reveals God to mankind, that he is the great priest that offered a once for all sacrifice on the cross for the sins of mankind, that he is the great king who sat down at the right hand of God and rightly rules over all mankind for all eternity. Like this is what it means to confess that you believe in Jesus. This morning in our Bible study, we talked about images of Jesus and what we had learned about Jesus. And listen, if this is not your picture of Jesus, we are not talking about the same Jesus. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the rightful king, the prophet, the priest, right? He is all of these things. And this is what the Bible says. If you believe in him, that is, if you confess that and believe that, you will be born again to spiritual life today and ultimately be raised to live with him for all eternity. Like This is what Jesus tells Martha, right? This is the truth that confronted Martha on this day, standing before Jesus. Before we get to our conclusion this morning, I want to briefly do justice to the context because we want to know what happens, right? Martha goes to get Mary. Her sister Mary comes to Jesus, and upon falling at his feet, says the same thing as Martha. If you'd have been here, Lord, my brother would not have died. Jesus is deeply moved in his spirit, and he, he weeps himself. Uh, he, he weeps because uh, he sees the pain of death. He, the Bible even uses the word similar to anger. He's angry uh, about death and the way that it robs men and women of life. Like he, there's all of this and he, he weeps and he asks where they have laid him and he goes to the tomb and he tells them to remove the stone uh, that they have rolled in front of his cave. And, and Martha protests that by now the Lazarus would stink like it's been four days, like, uh, this is, she does not want to see this scene before her family. And Jesus says, didn't I tell you if you believed, you would see the glory of God, right? And they roll the stone away. And Jesus, after he lifts his eyes up and he talks to God in the, in the sight of the people, the crowd, he commands Lazarus to come out. And he does, right? This man who had died and been buried and wrapped and laid in a tomb for four days, all of a sudden comes out of the tomb and Christ says, unwrap him and let him free. That is, he was in his burial wrappings and then afterwards he is rejoined with his sister. It's a great miracle. But not, listen, not only did Martha see it, not only did Mary see it, the Bible says there was a great crowd of uh, mourners that had come to comfort Mary and Martha from Jerusalem. And so the miracle spreads far and wide and it spreads quickly. And listen, ultimately it leads to Jesus' death. It was this, this moment, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, that ultimately led the Jewish leaders to cement their intention to kill him. Because he was he had done he had done too much. Right? Now he had to die. The Jewish leaders faced the reality that this man, Jesus, possessed power over even death itself. Right? had to decide whether to believe in him or reject him. Consequently, this is exactly what Jesus told them they would have to do and they would do the last time he was with them. They said, tell us plainly if you were the Christ. This is what he says in John 10. 
I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. I and the Father are one. Jesus told him the last time that when they saw the works of God, they would either believe or reject, and they would reject it because they weren't his sheep. But listen, they having heard the same account you did this morning, that Jesus raised a man that had been dead for four days from a grave with a shout, chose to reject him, proving they did not belong to him. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of God. He is God's means by which mankind can be saved, not just in this life, but for all eternity. He proved it by a miraculous display of God's power, like raising Lazarus, culminating his own resurrection and defeat of sin, death, and the grave, right? His promise is that whoever believes in him will experience salvation and everlasting life. So what each of us have to do this morning is answer the very same question that he asked Martha. Do you believe this? Right? Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God, the Messiah, the anointed one? Listen, you don't have to understand it all. Bring your questions to the Lord. You don't have to be able to articulate all the great doctrines of the faith this morning. You don't have to have it all figured out to answer that question. And if you're waiting to have it all figured out, you'll never get there. And if you're waiting to have all your questions answered, you'll never get there. Listen, rather than trying to understand it all, rather than trying to be able to articulate it all, rather than trying to figure it all out or get your life together, listen, this is my advice for you this morning. Listen. Listen. Do you hear Jesus calling Jesus says his sheep will hear his voice and follow him. Have you ever followed him in belief? Have you ever come to the place where you accept the claims made and accompanied by mighty works that this Jesus of Nazareth made about himself? That Martha so clearly confesses. Do you feel an overwhelming sense to fall at his feet this morning and say, yes, Lord, I that's, that's faith. That's belief. That's what scripture says. That's what Jesus means when he says, believe in me. Won't you pray with me? Close.